And good morning to everyone. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Our address will be verse 22. John 6, 22. And again, if you're visiting here this morning, man, just a, a hearty welcome. Uh, we're so blessed that you're with us here. And uh, this is the portion of our service where we just get into God's word and we just want to absorb it. And, you know, and we want to learn it. And make application. And we really do ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to receive that that he has for us. Well, let's through it. Now, it's going to be a little lengthy. You know, I was going through this even before I came up here. And I'm thinking, that's a long read. Uh, But again, the conviction is that we would know the content of it and the reasons why he... The Holy Spirit pens out this account. Uh, by the way, this is actually called, you know, the, the bread of life. You know, it's, an, it's, a, uh, it's a teaching by the Lord and it's an exhortation. Um, it's only mentioned in the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke kind of leaves it all out. Now, all the other stories that surround this, this teaching uh, is in the other Gospels, you know, the miracles. But the teaching only... Uh, in the Gospel of John. Rhyme and reason? Well, probably because the Gospel of John primarily was written for um, the church. And so again, you could say this teaching here, the bread of life, really is applicable to the believer. You know, this is, and not just the believer, but, you know, for the world as well, um, the way they see Jesus, the way they perceive Jesus, that might be a word I use quite often this morning. Uh, but that, just as a way of introduction, you know, this is something the Lord wants you and I to learn as his bride. Starting with verse 22, John chapter 6, 22. The day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save that one whereunto the disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nine unto that pla- the place, where they did eat the bread, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, after that the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples They also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? How did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because uh, you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perishes, But for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. They said, or then said they unto him, well, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered, said unto them, this is the work of of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. They said, therefore, unto him, well, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. 
But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. I say unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he has given me, I, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last days. Praise the Lord. This is the will of him that sent me, that every one which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the, at the last days. The Jews murmured at this. This would be the religious Jews. They murmured at this because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven. And Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets that they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that has heard and has learned of the, uh, of the Father comes to me. Now, not that any man has seen the Father save the uh, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Now verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. They're dead. This, well, that was an eye-opener for them, isn't it? They thought they were all that. I just had to make a comment there. I'm sorry. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that he may eat thereof and not die. I'm the bread of heaven which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. Now, now very strong language here. My flesh which I will give for the life of the world. He said the Jews strove among themselves saying, well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said unto them, Well, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You think that got their attention? Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is meat indeed. The blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh, drinks my blood, dwells in me and I in him. As the, as the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. He taught all this while he was in church. Actually, the synagogue. I know that was pretty lengthy. Let's stand together, Bible in hand. Let's pray over this. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the desires that you've placed in our hearts to, to study it, to 
become more than just acquainted with it, but it would be something that you would pour into our hearts where we would have to digest it. Lord, the prophet of old said, you know, when we first took in your word, it was sweet to the taste. Later on, it became bitter to the soul. It's because they had to digest it. Father, I just thank you that you have given us this desire to know your word. Now I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would be, would just be the teacher, the instructor, where we can make personal spiritual application as well. Again, it's been prayed about around here recently, Lord, we don't want to be like those that look into a mirror, walking away, forgetting what we see. We want to look into your word, and we want your word to take permanent residence in our hearts, as David would say, so that we might not sin against thee. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said together, amen, amen. Thank you. It has been a week, maybe a little longer than, than a week for the disciples. Man, they have seen everything imaginable. I mean, they, they've seen the calming of a storm. Uh, they've even seen him take a hold of the mass and command the waves, in this, the, the waves to be muzzled. They've seen a demoniac, someone who was uh, well-known in the area to be a total craze, someone who just couldn't keep his clothes on, running around naked, making havoc of all the towns and villages in the area. But when he meets up with Jesus, they find him clothed and in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. They, then they, they witness this miraculous feeding of the 5,000. Actually, it's more than 5,000. The word tells us plus women and children. Could have been 15, 20,000 people. Jesus takes a good old happy meal and, and feeds everybody with it. You know, two fish, five little wafers, you know. Again, because it's so precious to my heart, you know, uh, the multiplication took place in Jesus' hand. All the disciples, were they were the distributors, Amen. We're not in the manufacturing business. We can only distribute that which God has manufactured in us. Amen, guys? Come on, give me an amen this morning. You with me today? Be excited about Jesus and his word. You got to be, man. This is a privilege. We get to do this, to study his word, and then to know it. Again, I think that's so important for the church. Remember, the church was instructed to learn the word of God, you know, and the world is the recipients of evangelism, the exhortation, the preaching of the word. You and I were disciples, learners, and that's what we're doing here this morning. So they've had such, just such a week, you know, of everything. And it tells us the following day, right after the feeding of the 5,000, there in verse 22, um, uh, when the people in that area saw that Jesus had vacated the area, and they they trying to make rhyme and reason. Where on earth did he go? He's even asking, you know, look, how did you even get over here? And with the, from verses 22 to verse 25, um, when they went seeking for Jesus, uh, I love the fact that Jesus really doesn't answer their question as far as mode of transportation. How he got here, why they missed him or anything like that. Because that really isn't the issue at hand. Not for the Lord anyway. 
You know, there's more important things going on. Listen, let me say this too from, on the onset. There's a lot more, more going on behind the scene than they can see with the physical eye. And so true, dear Christian, if I can just have your attention for a second. You know what, guys? We can, we do. We see through our, we, how can I put that? We, um, um, we respond through our senses. The things that we feel, the things that we touch, the things that we smell, you know, the, the senses. But there is, so, in the spiritual realm, where there's more dimensions, there's so much more going on, you and I, we don't, we don't know. And if God reveals what's going on behind the scene, then that's just more of his grace and his love towards us. You know, something might happen in your life, could be a miracle trial, could be anything. And all we know is what's in front of us. We smell something, we touch something, we see something. It's time for the Christian to tap the brake a little bit and go, okay, God, but what's really going on behind the scene? I believe that all things work out for the good to those that love God. Amen? Now listen, he doesn't answer that. Verse 26, he then says this. He answers them by saying, look, I say unto you that you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and you were filled. In other words, he's saying the only reason you're trying to seek me out and it's for carnal reasons. Now, the Christian always uses that word. Oh, that's carnal. That's carnality. No, I, no well, I think where they're at, they're not using it as a, but, but listen, it is true that the only reason at that time they're seeking him is because, well, who, uh, whoever, who's experienced being fed two fish and five? I mean, that doesn't happen every day. And, and again, they were filled. They were glutton. Now, they're going to bring up Moses. And the reason they bring up Moses is because Moses did it for 40 days. So why, why wouldn't Jesus do it for more than just once, Right? Why wouldn't he just duplicate that? Now, here's something that I really want you to note, though. This is important. And he's going to use this word in the Greek. It's called idio. It's a Greek word where it means you perceive something. Just like I had just said earlier that when God does, you know, when there's more to be perceived than we really see before. You know, there's a lot going on in the background. We don't know what's real, but something is going on. And then God opening our eyes, we start to perceive there's more than what the eye, you know, is beholding there. So it says, look, you seek me not because you saw. In other words, he is saying there's something more in this miracle that you don't perceive. There's more behind this thing that's going on he says you're following me because you were full you were glutton and that is the reason now listen dear christian i think one of the mistakes that you and i can make as as followers of christ is uh experiencing a miracle of some sort and then expect god to do it the same way for the same reason and all the time. You know, I shared my, our, a little bit of our testimony with our son that when he came down with spinal meningitis, God, you know, supernaturally healed him. We learned something. But now every time he got snots and sniffles, I'm going to think that God's going to do the same thing over and over again. No, 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 no. Because God is going to act differently. And I can perceive that, that something else is going on. 
And that was one of the mistakes that they were making here. So Jesus then begins this exhortation in verse 27 where he says, Labor not for the meat which perishes. Now listen, that word to labor, ergaingzozami, zimi, it literally means to almost with anxiousness or to be with anxiety trying to uh, acquire something. You know, you're just, you're, you're, you're anxious about it. You're laboring for something. You're trying to acquire something. And a lot of times, this is how people approach life. You know, they, they, they'll see something and the, 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 there's an anxiousness. And then they go to all extremes to try to make this thing, this thing to work out. The way they think it should work out. Now, listen, gang. And I know most of you know this, that all things do, do work out for the good to them that love him. But the way God works that out for the good can take on different shapes and forms. Amen? And so there, you, you don't labor for that which is perishing. Now, to circle that word perish, very important. It literally means rendered useless. He said, don't labor for that. In the spiritual realm, that material thing is just, what I'm trying to teach is just useless. And again, it's not what he was trying to, to show them. So again, they're perceiving something and God has a different ideal, or, uh, um, idea. And in the latter part of verse 27, this is what he's trying to get to. He says, but labor, that's what he means, but for that meat, that sustenance, that is which is going to keep you alive, spiritually speaking, um, which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you, charis a gift, for him that God, uh, him that God, God the Father has sealed. Now listen. What he's talking about here isn't something that is physical. It's not material. He's saying don't labor for those kind of things. Now listen, do we pray for material things? Absolutely. It tells us, you know, to give us this day our daily bread, right? Um, but it also says what? Your will on, on earth as it is in heaven. Give, but give us this day our daily bread. God said he provides for our needs according to his riches and glory. He will always do that. And we should pray that God is glorified the way he provides for us. But he's talking about everlasting life. This whole section that, that John introduces us to, you know, in the middle, what surrounds it is the feeding of the 5,000. But writing to the church, he's telling you and I, don't labor. Don't be anxious for the things that will perish. Why? God will provide that. He will take care of you. What he's telling us, however, to do is that to labor, to be anxious for things of the eternal, not for the things of the here and now. He, and then why do I know that that is the context over eight times, he will allude to um, live forever, everlasting life. He mentions it in verse 40, 47, 50, 51, 54, 47, 58, and also in 68. He goes and he says it. What we're talking about is the eternal. Gang, this is a prayer request. This is something you and I should always have in the chambers of our hearts. Lord, make me conscious of the eternal, not the here and now. 
This day is going to pass away. Tonight, when we lay our heads down on those pills, we can have peace because we prayed for God's will for that day. Tomorrow, when we wake up, we go, God, give us this day our daily bread. James says, when you pray, don't pray like you're trying to plan out your future. I'm going to build a bridge. I'm going to go build a house. I'm going to do... No, pray for what? This day that your will is done and that I walk in it. Now, we don't pray for the future. Yes, we do pray for the future. Don't get me wrong. But don't labor for the things that eventually will perish. We labor for those things that we know last forever. That has an eternal value. Right? I want to be in your will, God. That has an eternal value. I want my light to so shine before men. That has an eternal value. Everything that has an eternal... You get my point? Eternal? That's what we need to keep our eyes on. Don't labor for things that just render useless. He goes on and he says, uh, in verse 28, he says to them, or pardon me, then said they unto him, okay, if that's the case, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And so Jesus will answer them. Again, dealing with the eternal. All right, guys, if you really want to do the works, make sure you got a little kid with two fish and five loaves of bread. It's not what he said. If you really want, you know, to, to, to do the works, the works of God, well, then make sure that you have a fat bank account and you got a great plan, you know, when you retire. Now, those things are important. Please, I'm not minimizing the importance of it. I'm just saying that's not what we agonize over. That's not what we labor for. I want to think, when it comes to my children, when it comes to my family, I look at them, and when I'm praying for them, it's usually about heaven. Lord, bring them to the cross. Lord, keep them in your hands. Let them be in your will. You're praying for an unsaved loved one, a spouse. Lord, you're praying that they get a fatter job, a bigger job. No, you're praying, Lord, bring them to the cross. Lord, let them see the eternal and everything, the, the, the ways and the balance. What is important in our lives is not those things that are going to perish or render. No one's going to care. Now, if you're drowning in the middle of the ocean and somebody's coming out to rescue, they don't care if it's a rowboat or a high-powered speedboat. They just want you to save them. Amen, guys? That's what's so important. That's what should be important in the believer's life. And that's why I think Matthew left it out. Because Matthew writes predominantly to the Jewish audience. Mark writes to the servant. And Luke is writing to the intellectual Greek guy, the philosopher. But John is writing to the bride of Christ. And for you and I, sometimes we tap the brakes and we go, wait a minute. That might be important for the here and now. Keep my house, you know, livable so I have a roof over to provide for my family, to work. But man, that what's important to God is the eternal. And he wants you there. And he's going to great lengths to provide a way for us to get there. Isn't, amen, guys? And he's going to touch on that. And he's going to use some very, very strong language for the religious leaders to try to embrace. Um, again, I, I want to touch on something in verses 28 and 29 there. Uh, what shall we do? Jesus said, well, this is the work of God that you believe on him. Above all other is the indication. Above all everything else that might render useless, you need to believe in him. And that word to believe in there is a very, very beautiful word to kind of look at. It, just, it means to think something to be true. 
And you know what? If you're born again, you know the cross is true. It is so true to you that you will put everything into it. You will put your faith, your life, you will just all chips in. It centers around the cross. Amen, guys? It also means to be persuaded, to give credit to, to place total confidence in. That is what you, you want to do the works of God, then you've got to believe above all other things that you've got to believe on the one whom he has sent. You know, there are a lot of things in our lives that we would say that are glorious. One of my favorite words. Someone said, hey, when did you start using the word glorious? This was asked a couple of weeks ago because I always use that word. Listen, I, I, I didn't coin that out. Pastor Chuck used to say that all the time. And every time he would say it, I go, he even lights up when he says it. It's glorious. Not that I'm trying to be like Pastor Chuck or anyone else, but when I hear that word glorious, is not the cross glorious? It wasn't the burial, knowing that he wasn't going to stay there, but the resurrection so glorious, you know? Listen, we can do a lot of glorious things. We did one yesterday. It was a very glorious time. I never had so much fun. I mean, I have, but it was just a breath of fresh air to see everyone laughing and just joking around. And that, that, well, I don't know why they call it a Chinese auction. Why do they call it a Chinese auction? We're going to Nepal. It should be a Nepal auction. But anyway, well, just everybody having a hoot and laughing. And, and, and we did. It was great fellowship. But you know, when Jerry mentioned about going to Nepal and going to a leper colony. Uh, we'll be there somewhere on the 11th or the 12th, um, looking to see how we can put in a hot water heater for these dear people. That's a glorious thing. You think of all the, back in the day when a lot of denominations would build hospitals, orphanages, you know, um, glorious, beautiful things. But compared to the cross, compared to the cross, it doesn't stand in its shadow. The cross of Jesus Christ to the, the believer is the most important thing. Isn't it not, you know? And we do place our faith in him whom he has sent. That's why, listen, Christian. That's why it's so important that you preach Christ and him crucified. You don't preach a denomination or a certain teaching or anything. Preach Jesus. And guess what? The Father who is drawing them, as the Holy Spirit then reveals the greatest issue of life, salvation, they will embrace him. Because again, we don't manufacture it, we can only distribute it. Uh, again, um, I, I, I see it all through the scriptures, uh, especially in the book of Acts. There's a great story there mentioned in Acts chapter 16, I'll paraphrase it for you. You know, you got Paul and Silas, you know, they're, they're there chained up. And instead of their circumstances and their, the atmosphere, their surroundings, they're not bummed. You know what Paul and Silas are doing, right? Man, they are singing Calvary Chapel songs, you know. <laughs> no, they're worshiping and singing in there. And then it tells us there in Acts chapter 16 that the very foundations of that jail began to shake. And as it was shaking, the gates opened up. Their chains fell off their, their wrist. That is a glorious day. Then, uh, then all of a sudden, and the commotion, 
the guard, the Roman prison guard, realizes what's happening. And he, all of a sudden, you read there in chapter 16, he takes his sword. He's going to take his life. And oh, for goodness, why? Well, you see, Roman law was, if you were in charge of a cell, in charge of a prison, and one of your prisoners escaped, Roman law was that you would die the same death that that prisoner would have died of. So instead of dying some brutality or some way of the Rome, he said, I might as just take my own life. Well, Paul and Silas are still there in the midst of all this commotion. He said, hey, don't, har- don't harm yourself. We're still here. We know. We're not going to let you die, not on account of us. You know, and this blew the man's mind. What kindness, what love. You know, a lot of us would probably try to look for the easiest way to get out of a situation. But Paul and Silas knew, not on our account. We're going to stay here for you. And you know the response to that jailer? Oh, I love it. Again, glorious. You know what it was? Listen, what must I then need to do to be saved? Paul and said, what? Yeah, what do I have to do now to be like you? What, and they said, well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, and man, your household will come along with you. Now, that's a Harry paraphrase, but it does say that right there. Later on in that chapter, guess what happened? The jailer's there, he's washing their wounds, he's dressing up their sores and all, and then he, the jailer, and his family, guess what's happening to them? They get baptized. They become believers. See, Christian? Just by knowing what is useful and what is meaningful, what is so important to us. It's not those things that are perishing, but it's the things that are going to have an eternal value. That's what's important. They could have ran for their lives. They could have escaped, but they just stayed there. Why? This guy was going to get saved. Same reason. Listen, wife, you're sticking with that unsaved husband. One day, I believe with all my heart, you're going to hear, honey, what do I got to do to be like you? Or vice versa. Husband stays with a wife. Or a mom and dad sticks with their kids. No, I'm not talking. You know, we always have this thing. Oh, we've got to do tough love. You guys know what I mean. Love them unconditional. I'm not saying embrace their sin, but to love them. It's a big difference. And your kid might turn around and say, Mom, Dad, what do I got to be to be like you? What do I got to do to be like you? See, this is not a message about feeding 5,000. It's just not a message about that Jesus indeed is the bread of life. Most of you already know that. This is a message about the eternal and what's important in our lives. In verse 30, they said, therefore, unto him. Well, again, these guys are diehards. You know, man, you talk about some thick nuggets there. Listen, he said, well, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What does thou work? Look, our fathers ate man in the desert. It's written, he gave them bread. Like, they are quoting the scripture to the word of God, by the way. Like, Jesus going to, listen, I penned that out. I know exactly what I did in the desert wilderness. And again, they're, they're referring to the 40 years. Oh, Jesus, are you going to just do it more than just once? No, actually... Um, he did it twice, a feeding of a multitude. But if, again, if Jesus had done it probably more than twice, some church somewhere would have the ministry of feeding the multitude ministry incorporation or something like that. And John, 
John shows us, he tells us through his writings, that almost every miracle that Jesus performed, there was something to be perceived. There was something behind it. That's why, dear Christian, it's so important when you study the Word of God, you read the whole thing within its context. And again, it's my conviction, and I would never say what yours should be, but my, con- my conviction, and I got this from a guy, his name was John Michaels out of Arizona, uh, teaching us IBS. He said, listen, God never gave anyone permission to take him out of context, and that's something that we should take very serious. See, I think what happens, and pastors are so guilty of this, what happens is we have something on our hearts that we really want to convey to our, our church, our, the sheep that God has given us to protect. And we want to do that. So instead of being patient and just waiting for that right time where the scriptures is teaching that subject, we try to manipulate it to make it fit. And we don't have to. And you can just be honest with the congregation. You can honestly say, imagine a pastor just saying, you know what, this is just on my heart. It really doesn't have anything with our life. But I really sense that God wants you to know this today. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're to look at the whole text and say, okay, Jesus, what were you really trying to show this mass of humanity? All these people, you're following me because I just fed you, man. You just want another handout. Oh, no, but there's more than that. I don't want you laboring for that. It's just going to perish. But I want you to put that effort, that almost that, that anxiousness into the eternal. What Jesus said, cast all your anxieties upon him because he's anxious for you. There is godly anxiousness to be anxious for God. Anyway, I, you know, they're asking for another sign. And again, how many more signs do they need? Think about all that just happened in that one week. And then let's, we're going into Jesus' final year, the the year of um, persecution, right? And, but what happened in that year where Jesus was doing all those miracles, raising the dead, the blind eyes open, lame people are walking. More demon-possessed, a dear little child, a a, a demon-possessed kid throwing himself in the fire. How long has he been there? Well, and then there's this this discourse going, and finally Jesus heals and delivers. How many more miracles do they really need? See, that's the problem when we base our belief, our faith on miracles. Do I believe that miracles exist today? With all my heart. We have experienced them personally. I've experienced them collectively, the church body. Right now, you're experiencing a miracle. Being here in South Jersey, here, this church, that was just God's hand doing it. It was a miracle. But to to base my faith and um, my conviction solely on miracles, that's, that's a problem. In fact, Jesus, again, used very strong language when he said, it's a, a wicked, adulterous generation that seeks for signs. But again, he's not, he was the, one of the king of all signs. He was doing everything to prove who he was, the blind open. Remember John the Baptist? Should I look for another? What did Jesus say to John's disciples? No, go back and tell him. The blind have their sight, the lame are walking. No, he is a mighty God. Don't ever be afraid to put it on a, our prayer um, 
requesting on, online or send us a prayer request. Please pray for so-and-so. I need a, just a, 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 a physical miracle right now. And we'll pray for you. Faith is always based on the word of God. And again, I have such a strong belief that when God's ready to do a miracle in your life, that the word will be there to accompany it. It won't be just this thing where you're going to just think, okay, I'm just going to bunker down. I'm going to just believe hard enough. I believe faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It not only increases our faith, but there's some, somehow, right when you need that miracle in your life, God's word accompanies it. A verse, maybe a story like this, an account of his miracle of 5,000, feeding the 5,000. So again, verse 32, it says, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. Someone would say, well, sure, God gave it to him. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is, no, that, that God did give him that they get manna from heaven. But it came from the sky. The, mat, the bread that Jesus is referring to refers to the eternal. That manna stopped. Jesus never stops. In fact, you know, Jesus will allude to that he came from heaven as the manna over eight times. And just for the tape's sake or the teaching, uh, verse 33, 38, 41, 42, 50, 51, and 58. Those verses right there, Jesus is talking about him coming from the Father for an eternal reason. That's why I know that this is more... About, uh, more about uh, the eternal and, uh, and heaven. He says now in verse 33, For the bread of life is he which comes down from heaven and gives life uh, unto the world. Please notice that he gives it to the world. It's God's will that none perish. What, 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 what is that in reference? It, it truly is. God wants the world to come to the cross. You know, for God so loved the what? The world, you know, uh, that he gave his son. The father is, has revealed to a world that his son indeed came to die for their sin. That's not a problem. Where the church begins to struggle is, then why doesn't everyone come? If that's, the, if that's true. Let's keep going down. I'll point something out. He says then, Moses didn't give you that bread from heaven. It was my father. The bread is he that comes down from heaven and gives life unto the, unto the world. Then said they unto him, well, then evermore give us this bread. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus had said, well, the father wants to give something. And then someone would respond. Well, remember the woman at the well, living water. Hey, look, if you knew who was really asking you for a drink, you would ask for living water. And she'd go, well, living water will give me some. I don't like coming to the well every morning. Jesus would even say to her, the guy you're looking at is the one who can give living water. He's looking at this mass of people. And he's going, I am the bread that comes down. You know, the message is clear. The problem is receiving it. Some people will receive it and others won't. One of the things that I want to point out to you this morning is um, in verse 35, I am the bread of life. There in verse 35, it's in the emphatic, which means 
I alone am the bread of life. That's a, 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 a correct interpretation in the Greek. I alone, no one else, am the bread. Not, not, no one else. Um, in the Gospel of John, uh, in verse or chapter 6 here, he gives seven I am statements. Seven I am statements. And again, I think this is so uh, applicable because in each one of those statements, you and I uh, can make personal application. Let me just give you those and not going to have you turn there. It's quarter after. But of course, we have the one here in chapter 6, verse 35. Uh, but in chapter, I'm sorry, these are different chapters. Chapter 8, verse 11, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, verse 7, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In verse, or chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and life. That's when he was dealing with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, one that we all know quite well. Uh, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, truth, and life. Chapter 15, verse 1, uh, I am the true vine. Now you're going, okay, uh, it, to me, Matthew, Mark, and Luke does not do that, only in John. And I believe uh, with all my heart, this is something that God wants you and I to know. And not just know it. Gnosko, I mean, you know, in our mind. We, we need to perceive that there's something behind those a, 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 um, I am statements. I, I am the light of the world. You don't have to be in darkness, people. You don't ever have to say, you know, I just feel like I'm in the dark. He's the light of the world. He was the light that brought you to the cross. He is the light that will continue to shine before you. I am the light. He says, I am the door. You don't have to worry about going through uh, unknown doors. He will open that door. In fact, not only that, when you read that account in chapter 10, he is the very shepherd that will lay across that door to make sure no thieves will break in and you won't come out. That's how secure you are. He is that door. He protects it. He is the resurrection and he is the life. What does that mean? He's alive. The Christian should never act, never live a life as though that God is dead, that he's on the shelf. It was an experience. He is just as, listen, Christian, he is just alive today as the day when you received him. Do you remember that day? You talk about eyes opening. September 1973, I'm on my bedroom floor. I'm reading his crazy little chick track. All of a sudden, my room just is filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not in a church service. I'm not at an altar. I don't hear Billy Graham saying, just as you are, come without a plea. It's me in this crazy track. And he revealed to him that he is the resurrection and the life. And I became alive that day. I was never more alive that day. But guess what? He is just as alive today as he was then. And that's why what he wants to be with you, Christian. He never changes. Who changes then, Har? How many here today have changed? In a way, right? We have. Remember when we were first saved? My goodness. Lord, I better pray for this. Should I go down and eat now or should I do it later? Should, should I just trust that you're going to get me there or should I stop at a gas tank? Lord, what should I do, Lord? I remember I, 
I had a friend that lived in Pen- Pennsville, you know, over near the bridge, Delaware Memorial Bridge. And I, I drop her off. And then as I'm driving home, I would see how long I could just talk to him. Just talk to him the whole way. The conversations we had together were just glorious. And it was that he, he was in my car with me. Folks, listen, he's the resurrection life. He's still alive today, right? Stay in love with him. Don't fall out of love. If you've fallen in love with him, stay in love with him, right? Listen, you guys get this, this message. I don't need to keep going and going and but the one thing that it says here in verse 35, I'm the, bre- the resurrection. I'm sorry. I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. Never. He that believes in me, you're never going to thirst. But I say to you, you have, you, you have seen me and yet you don't believe. Well, they, sure they believe. That's not, they, did, they believed he did it. No, what they're saying again, same word, idios, is, but you haven't really perceived what was behind that miracle. What I'm showing you right now is that you're so bent on just laboring for things that will perish, but there's something that will never perish. That's what we put our efforts into. You know, some people only go by those senses. What they see, what they smell, what they, what they you know. Think about this. Think about blind Bartimaeus. There, there he is, he's sitting there on his little street corner, you know, and he hears this commotion and he goes, hey, what's going on here? Oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's passing by. Then all of a sudden, blind Bartimaeus says this, though, big difference. He goes, Jesus, thou son of David. He had more insight being blind than he would have if he saw things. It's insight. It's what we perceive. You're praying for a loved one. Lord, let them perceive that calling. Let them perceive that you love them. Let them perceive, God, that you're right there, that all things will work out for the good. Greg, you can make your way out. Look what he says here. Verse 38, I come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. This is the, the Father's will, which hath sent me. I love this. That, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing. I should lose no one. But I'll raise it up. And again, that word, it there, circle it in your Bible within the context. It's referring to the mass of humanity. All that the Father has given. He doesn't lose. Well, Harry, what are you trying to say? We're secure? Yeah, that's what exactly I'm saying. Well, well, Harry, well, wait a minute. You're saying you can never lose your salvation. No, I'm not saying that either. Well, then what are you getting at, Harry? I'm, I'm just saying both exist. They can't happen. You can't both exist. Well, listen, he, there was a guy by the name of Hugh Ross, you know, an, an intellectual, just a very smart guy. And in, during a, um, um, uh, an interview, um, they said, how can you really embrace both views that you're eternally secure, the sovereignty of God, and yet at the same time, there's human response. He goes, oh, listen, we're stuck in this dimension. We can only see possibly in one dimension, maybe two. You know, or, and some brilliant people can see three. But anyway, he says, if you take a triangle and you look at it with just one dimension, you just see three sides, equal, equal length or maybe not equal length. But if you go up top and you look straight down to it, that triangle looks like a circle. But that's a different dimension. 
He says that's the way the eternal is. We, we don't know how many dimensions in, that are in the eternal. All we know that there is more than just two or three. And if God says that he is so sovereign that he is calling masses of humanity, but he also knows who's going to come. But within that crowd, they have to call out. But that doesn't make sense exactly. God does not make sense. His ways are above ours. Why would you even be mindful of us is what David says. I just, I'm just glad. I'm glad that in 1973, I was reading a crazy little chick track and I got saved. And I bet you you're glad too, aren't you? And when we start to just for a second, think of the eternal, tell me that your mind is not blown. If you're honest, that within the eternal, there's no beginning and no end. There is no way humanly it possibly you can no beginning everything in the human mind has a beginning and it might have an end but to think that there's no time in heaven that's why our dear loved ones have gone up before us they haven't even blinked yet and we're going to be standing right with them amen guys listen i just want to end with what jesus said to this crowd And it really bothered the crowd. He said, this bread is my flesh. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're not going to have eternal life. Now, you and I both know that Jesus is not condoning cannibalism. It's not what he's saying at all. What is he saying? He's saying you're laboring for this meat, this sustenance that has no eternal value whatsoever. Well, then what does have eternal value It's his flesh, his blood. Well, where do we see that? Where do we see that? The cross. When Paul the Apostle was taking communion with the disciples, you know, this is my body, my flesh, which is broken for you. This is my blood shed for the remission of the sin. What were they doing? They were to eat it. And in the Jewish mindset... Whatever you ate, I would eat. Whatever sustaining you is sustaining me. They didn't have a problem sitting at a table having all the sauces and spices before them. And then they would rip up a piece of bread and, and dip it in there. And, uh, and then I would hold, hand it off. She would rip and dip it in the same. It's, it's, it is called double dipping. They didn't have a problem with that. But they believed with all their hearts that what's sustaining me is also sustaining you. So what's sustaining me spiritually is the same flesh and blood of the Lord that's sustaining you. Amen, guys? Listen, I think more than anything, the application this morning is to keep this mindful. Just to remember. Just to remember. Not to labor, to be anxious for things that don't matter. If it does matter, it's only in your own mind. What really matters is to know that you're going to heaven when you die. What only matters to me when it comes to my loved ones is their eternal state. I just want to see them in heaven. And, uh, and again, I think that's an issue of prayer. I had been praying for my uncle for years. We called him Uncle Sonny. And I shared this story not too long ago, but it fits here. And I remember, um, just, I just loved the guy. He was just one of those uncles when you're a kid. I could, wish I could live with Uncle, ben, you know, Uncle Sonny and Aunt Patty. But 
when we when we did his, uh, when they did this service for him, my cousin came up and said, "Don't worry about Daddy and my uncle." He says, right before he died, a, a pastor came prayed with him, and he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. I believe that was through through prayer. I really do. And I'm telling you, Christian, don't ever ever lose heart to pray. Pray for your loved ones. You know, ask God to let them perceive something when they open the book. Let them read the book of John. And then let the Holy Spirit just just show them what it means. Amen? Let's stand together. You know, the, this morning, I... I think as we sing this last song, let's sing this song with a heart filled with joy, right? Because I want to ask you a question. How many of you guys now perceive the real reason for that miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? You understand what it was all about now, right? It wasn't about starting the feeding of the 5,000 ministry. It's, it's about Jesus being the bread of life. And when you, when you trust and believe and take him in, that has a, an eternal value to it. But I want you guys not to walk out of here this morning and forget this. I want you to remember this. And I want you to make it a prayerful thing. Amen, God. We're gonna, in fact, if there's anyone here that just needs prayer this morning, they have forgotten. You know, someone said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, my mind. Right now, my mind is going in a million directions, you know. And I have just one box to try to put them in. I heard that illustration once. And right now I'm short-circuiting. But I, I want to tell you this. Um, um, I don't want you to forget that you are secure. And, uh, and if in your heart you sense you're at a place where you're not sure of your salvation... Well, well, then maybe you need to lean more towards an Arminian type of a, a doctrine where whosoever will come to me. I believe you need to come to him. And I, need, I believe that First John should be so applicable to your life. You wouldn't be hesitant to say, God, forgive me. I want to come back. And if you're fearful of losing your salvation, then the other is true. That no man can snatch you from your father's hand. And the menu that lists there in the book of Romans, you know, height and depths and width and what, you know, persecution or warfare, it's never going to separate you from the love of God. But we need both. And in the eternal, they both exist. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to take this time to just to thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you so much, God, that, uh, again, that we can just, every now and then, just slow down and to give your word a thought. Lord, is there really anything, God, that we need to just get before the cross and just say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me. Or maybe somebody's just gripped with fear and they really don't see you, God, as the bread of life that came down. And all we have to do is partake of Jesus. I believe we do that through the reading of your word and communion time to time and just prayer together. 
but partaking of you, just absorbing everything about you, Lord. I pray, God, that we would only, God, increase in our knowledge, God, of your grace and your mercy, not law or religion. That, Father, whenever the enemy would come and try to frighten us about salvation, we would know, no, the gospel, the power unto salvation, you died, were buried, and rose again. That's what gives us the bread of life, gives us eternal life. We love you so much, Lord. And again, we pray that we don't leave this place forgetting all that we have read and learned. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span.